And so ever since then, I've been like, here is my entire self. And if you don't like it, that is totally okay. Cause like, I don't, I don't want to spend the time trying to get someone to like a version of me that isn't real. Mm. And so it's like, it's kind of awesome to be like, this is all of me. You don't like it. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Like go like somebody else. We don't have to deal with each other. What a gift. We don't have to go through the rounds of you being like, I don't know about her. And instead they're like, oh no, she is not for me. (laughs) And I, I love that. This is a conversation with Kelton Wright, the creator of Shangri Logs, an award-winning Substack newsletter with over 5,000 subscribers and 300 paid subscribers. Kelton moved to a small town in Colorado a few years ago and decided to start this blog detailing her life renovating a newly purchased cabin and assimilating into the culture there. Spoiler alert, it's wonderful. Kelton injects palpable energy, hilarious attention to detail, and an endearing honesty about all the ups and downs of small-town Colorado living into her blog. In this podcast, we chronicle the life of this newsletter, how she grew it, how she started it, how she approaches personal essay writing, and why she believes it's best for everybody involved to give your whole self to your audience. I hope you enjoy it, and my apologies for my microphone in the first 30 minutes. I selected the wrong one to record with on Zoom. Without further ado... Here's our conversation. So, yeah, uh, Kel, thanks so much for for, for coming um, and, and wanting to talk about your blog, right? Well, actually, your newsletter, I should say, but, you know, whatever. They're kind of interchangeable, I guess. Um, I would love to, like, go back to the beginning, right? Like, when's the first time that you wrote words on the internet? Um, I thought I might have seen a Tumblr blog with your name on it. I'm not sure if that was real or not. If that was somebody else, I'm not sure. But when did that yeah, start? No, Tumblr was a big part of my life. I mean, my my first time seeing my words on the internet was middle school. Um, Ohio has a statewide competition called Power of the Pen. Um, and I I made it pretty far and I loved my final essay. And then I lost and I was bitter about it for the rest of my life. And so that was sort of the, the Kickstarter for me being like, I'm going to be a famous writer and you can't stop me. So like Blogspot, LiveJournal, Zanga, um, I did all the early ones. And I was always just like, here, read about my life to my friends. And then I tried a few different types of blogs and ideas before one really stuck in 2010. And that was on Tumblr. And I had a dating blog called date by numbers, um, that kicked off because of a conversation with my mom. Um, I was complaining to her that I never met anyone. And she was like, you meet tons of people. You just don't like anyone. And I was like, to prove you wrong, I am going to number every guy that like hits on me, asks for my phone number, takes me out on a date. And that became date by numbers. And I started that blog anonymously on Tumblr and eventually revealed my identity on it. And I had great success with that Tumblr. Um, Back in the day, it was like featured on their like top 10 blogs. And I started doing writing gigs for Huffington Post and Teen Vogue and eventually shuttered it in 2014 um, after I reached number 104 and had like had enough of revealing all the details of my personal life. And then, you know, as luck would have it, who would have been 105 is now my husband. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, Very cool. That was Very the start. Cool. Okay. All right. So you had a lot of success with Tumblr. Okay. Um, that's really cool. I think I had a Tumblr blog for like maybe a couple. I think actually my friend from from my my college roommate made like a Tumblr blog for me. I don't really know why, but he put a bunch of stuff on there. Um, you know, that he thought I thought I would find funny. And he was quite good at it. So Tumblr was really cool back in the day. I kind of liked it. But um so so you you started on Tumblr. Did you go to any other platforms or blog anywhere else after? I mean, obviously we know you moved to Substack eventually, but like, you know, what what was that period between Tumblr and Substack like? I sort of made a, a critical writing error 
um, ending the Tumblr. Uh, this was um, before like social media really reached its like omnipresence in our lives. And I think had I stuck with Tumblr and segued that audience into Instagram or some other kind of lifestyle blog that I might've retained a lot of that audience I spent years building, but I just had enough and was like, you know what I need to do? I need to focus on my career and being a real writer and had a lot of misconceptions about what that would mean. Um, and so I focused more on pitching and becoming an editor and having like a, a big advertising and tech job. And so for a long time, I wasn't writing my writing. I was writing for businesses and for publications and not really enjoying myself. Um, I eventually started a job with the meditation app Headspace um, in 2015 when they were about like 20 people. Um, and I took over editorial for them and became an editor for three or four years there. And that's sort of what sparked me being like, I'm doing the wrong thing. <laughs> I'm giving all of my joy in writing to other people and I'm not pursuing it at all for myself. And so I spent probably a few years trying to figure out like what a newsletter, what a blog could be. I had a lot of false starts um, and it wasn't until um, I moved to the town that I'm in now in the mountains in Colorado that I had the idea to start a newsletter about small town, high altitude living. Um, and that's when I started Shangri-Logs. And that for me was a return to form and a return to joy. Okay, great. How did you know that that was a good idea? That starting this blog about this lifestyle that you were living, like when did that start to enter your mind that, hey, maybe I, maybe I should write about this and reveal this to other people? It was a good idea for me. Um, I, don't, I don't think I ever thought anyone would care. Um, it was just, it was what I knew I wanted to be writing about. I had the bandwidth to write about it. And I was like, if people like it, they like it. But the last time it's like, when I started date by numbers, people were like, this is a bad idea. Um, and a lot of people were like, you shouldn't be so revealing. You shouldn't tell everyone all these things about yourself. And I was like, but I like doing it. Um, and so when the idea for Shangri-Logs came along, it was just something I wanted to do. And I had denied myself my own writing for so long at that point that I was like, I, I don't really care uh, if it's a huge success. Of course, I cared later when it's as soon as you get that like first little the dusting of success, you're like, could it be something? <laughs> so that feeling didn't last long, but I started it for me because I wanted to write it. Yeah. Um, do you think that that helped? lead to it actually being successful the, the you know the fact that you didn't really care that it would be successful sure i think there's also two other things that play into something like a newsletter being successful and that's a, like a built-in audience i had 600 email addresses from other false starts like i had gone back to my tumblr audience and been like if you want to read what i write next sign up here and so I had email addresses from that group. There were maybe by the time I left Tumblr, I had like 5,000 subscribers. And so 600 email addresses, I was like, good enough. There's nobody here anymore. I also had 5,000 Instagram followers at the time. And so there was like a place that people knew that I was writing and I was able to like collate a thousand or so readers to like start the base of it. And I would say half of them unsubscribed as soon as there was a real thesis. When it became Shangri-Logs, enough of them were like, this isn't the kind of writing that I'm here for. Uh, you know, a lot of them had originally liked Date by Numbers because it was spicy and adventurous. And this, I changed a lot in the, you know, the I guess the five years since that had, project had stopped. Um, I, they have, were used to like a high heel wearing city girl and I had just become more myself and that wasn't what they wanted to read. And that's fine. But still, an audience of 500 is better than an audience of none. And so there were enough people reading to start sharing. Um, and that made a huge difference. How was the response at the start? I mean, I, I went back and read your first article, which, you know, was, yeah, it just kind of grabs you. How was the, the initial reaction from the people that you kind of got to siphon from your old blogs 
to this new one? Like, did, did you have a lot of comments? Like, were people emailing you back a lot? Were you getting a lot of feedback from people immediately? Or was it basically like you were, you felt like you were writing to the void? Yeah. In the early days, it felt void like. Um, and a lot of the the best engagement came from like my parents and their friends and that sort of engagement you're it's, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful, but it's also, it's not very critical. Um, and so you're, you're not like, well, what should I do next? Like, what can I do differently? Like what grabbed you about it? They're just like, Oh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> but the one thing that the through line that I think sticks out in my writing from the early days to Shangri-Logs is that I, I'm definitely a person who is willing to take a chance. You know, I, I think there's an, there's something about the story of like, yeah, we just bought a log cabin in this tiny little town with all these problems where we don't know anyone and we don't know what to do next. That's like, there's a lot of open plot there. Um, and this, people can read because they want to do that or because they want to see me fail or because they're curious how you make it work or they just want to read about, similar through lines of hardship. Like, how do you make friends? And like, oh, I'm also renovating a house or I would love to leave the city. What does it feel like? So there were a lot of touch points, I think that can be relatable. Um, and those same touch points can also make people be like, I would never do that, but I'm curious to read someone else do it. I understand. Um, when do you feel like, when did you feel like you found, um, like the essence of what Shangri-Logs was going to be moving forward? Like, did you feel like you've had to um, kind of explore a bunch of different, you know, ideas and topics before you kind of landed on, okay, like, I, I feel like I understand what my, what, what the essence of this idea is here. And I'm going to start, you know, maybe like just writing about this a little bit more often. I hope that that question makes a little bit of sense, you know, um, yeah. It does um, in that I, I don't feel like I have figured out what the essence is. I have a lot of envy for um, newsletters and publications with a clear thesis um, and uh, like a fixed box that they're writing within. I think that, you know, everybody says that that allows your creativity to bloom a little bit more. For me, it's sort of like I could write about like anything about living here. And so I have a long list of topics that I think about each week. Um, and some things I've, I've had them on the list for the entire time I've been writing this newsletter and I've never written about them. And I'm like, maybe, maybe one day I'll write about mountain lions. And I just haven't. And there's, you know, there's pieces that stand out having really resonated with people. And then there's pieces I write that I love that like no one cares about. So as I write Shangri-Logs every week, I'm like, I start Sunday by like goes out at 8 a.m. in the morning. I respond to comments all day. I don't think about it on Monday. And then on Tuesday, I start panicking uh, every week about like, I have no idea what I'm going to write about. <laughs> so in terms of like essence, I'm like, does this have to do with living in a small town? Does this have to do with mountain life? Does this have to do with anything anybody who has read this blog has previously cared about? And then we go from there. So I'm cutting into your panicking time right now with this as we record this. Um, okay. Uh, so Kelton, you, you know, you started, you started this newsletter. It really didn't have much to do with the, the Tumblr blog that you started in the past. You got to siphon over a little bit of, a little bit of an audience, right? Um, and even, even still, you just had basically your parents telling you, Hey, this is great. I, you know, I'm really loving this. And you're, you're, you're talking into the void just a little bit to start. Um, when did the newsletter really start taking off for you? When did you start to see like, you know, like, like you mentioned the, like the fairy dust, when did the fairy dust start to get sprinkled onto your newsletter? And did, when did you start to find a little bit of success? Um, I mean, I've, I'm still not achieving the success that I set out for myself. I think like all writers feel that way. It's like, you, you still just are like, when, when's it going to like catch on wildfire? But one of the only like prominent moments when that happened in the beginning was another Substacker sharing one of the pieces I wrote. And that was Anne Helen Peterson. Um, she shared a piece from Shangri-Logs. I had no idea that she was reading it. Um, and that was a huge boost. Um, 
it has to be said for the Substack ecosystem, the way that the platform functions with its built-in recommendations of writers upon writers and how they they sort of weave that into the reader's experience of their the newsletters they choose to subscribe to has made a huge difference. I would say at least a third of my subscribers have come from recommendations from other newsletters. And Anne Helen Peterson's was the, the major kickoff point for me being recommended as a newsletter worth reading. Substack also featured Shangri Logs early on in the, the days of uh, 2019, 2020, something like that. I'm like, when did I move here? When did I start this blog? Um, 2021? Yeah, it was. Well, that, was, that like, was 2021? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was the that was I think your first post was 2021, sometime in 2021. I'm not yeah. sure exactly. So 2021 when. and 2022, Shangri Logs was a featured Substack publication, um, and that, you know, it's like that was just luck of the draw, uh, and you know, it's of course by the time 2023 rolled around, I'm like, why am I not featured anymore? <laughs> but uh, it was a blessing to be featured then, and I'm I'm really grateful. But and those things really made a huge difference, and. You know, it's frustrating to like say that to other writers because it, it that's like not a thing you can be like, this is how I did that because I didn't do anything. Um, that was just chance and luck. Um, you know, obviously I had been commenting on Anne Helen Peterson's work a lot. I love her work and I was very engaged in her community. And I think that helps get your work seen when you are trying to forge relationships with other writers. Um, but aside from just being an active community member yeah it was just chance just chance how much a lot of people talk about luck being a huge part of finding success as a blogger for example on medium i used to write on medium a lot and um, i got in like right when the platform started to take off and there was a lot of luck involved in that you know um i got there before like all the like really amazing writers got there and I managed to build a little bit of a following uh, first just because I got there first. And it, I, I only, I only knew about medium because some person on that, on a newsletter that I was subscribed to mentioned it. They're like, Hey, maybe you should write on medium. And I was like, what the heck is medium? You know, let me go check it out. This was like 2016. And then after that, um, you know, I managed to, I managed to grow a little bit of a following. So, you know, how much has luck played a part in you finding success, both on Substack and on, and on Tumblr as well? Um, a lot of people talk about luck and blogging and, you know, and how they're so intertwined. How, how do you, what do you think? Um, I mean, uh, I can like hear my father in the background being like the backbone of luck is consistency. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, if I'd only written one piece and I never engaged with other writers, like how would they ever find it? Like that, that level of luck is like, that is beyond me. But I made the commitment early in Shangri Logs that I was going to write once a week. Um, I did have, you know, for, even though it's not a tight thesis, it was a shortened thesis where it was like, uh, recreation, renovation, and relocation in like a high altitude environment. It's like, you know what you're getting. And I delivered on that consistently over and over and over again, and remained engaged in the community of people who might be reading it. It always responded to my readers. Um, I responded to every email. I prompted people when they signed up for the newsletter, they get an email that's like, welcome to Shangri Logs. And in that email, I asked them to reply and tell me who they are. And most people don't, um, but a lot of people, a lot of people do. And they're just like, oh, I'm from this place and I'm reading because of this. And so then all of a sudden you have a relationship with your readers and look, it takes a lot of time. Sometimes I like get backed up with like 35 of those emails. And I'm like, I, I don't just write back and say, thanks for reading. I'm like, I read every email. I Google these people and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad you're here. Like, this is something we have in common. This is something you might like reading of mine from the past. I read your work over on this website. And that level of, that level of engagement, uh, I think is like the, you know, luck is the bounty of that. That's interesting. I've never, I've never, like, I've, obviously we all hear the, you know, the advice to like respond to every comment and stuff like that. But I've never heard of someone going like that deep with it. I mean, it, it's incredible. It's awesome. Like, I think that 
anybody listening to this could probably, you know, put that into work that into what they do. For me, it's just, I mean, because you're an extrovert, right, Kel? I mean, I think you're like, a, I forget what exactly you are, ENFP, I think is what it was. I think I saw well, it's, it's changed over the years. It's like, I'm I'm borderline uh, extrovert, introvert. Like, I'm, I'm an extroverted introvert. I'm a performer at my core. Like, this kind of discussion is super fun for me. Like, I love interviews. I love first dates. Um, I... Uh, I like being on stage, but, um, you know, if you put me in a party, uh, I, I wilt and I resort to the pets in the corner. Like I don't like those environments at all. And, and that's part of the reason it's, it's really easy for me to have like a very detailed writing is because I, I like setting the scene and I love sharing all that, but then in an environment where it like pays to be extroverted, like a networking conference, I feel like, like the sole force of my body is leaking onto the floor and everyone around me can see it. And I would rather just lie down and hunker and cover my face. So it's like, you know, I have extroverted elements for sure, but not all of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, for me, I, I, I it's really hard for me to like every now and then every couple of months I run a program where I take people through like a writing challenge where we write every day together. And part of that is like engaging with them every day and like reading their work and like responding to them in a way where it's like, I'm trying to give them, I'm trying to give them like a part of my soul here. I'm not just trying to say, Hey, like, this is a great post. I'm, tr I'm trying to like really respond in a, in a, in a, you know, in a, in a, in an authentic way and go above and beyond for people. And that is so exhausting for me personally. Yeah. So it's incredible yeah. that you're able to, I mean, I know, I know it's exhausting for you too, but it, it, it's really incredible that you're able to do that for, you know, for that, you know, that, that wide of a net of people that, that read your, that read your stuff and, and respond back to you. you know? I mean, I give myself time to not do that. And sometimes it takes me weeks to respond to those emails. And I, I think it's important, like if anyone listening wants to implement that, to, to say that like, it's. I hate all the time leading up to answering. And then the answers are always like so nice. You know, it's like the task that only takes you 30 seconds see that you put off for like two months. And then you're like, oh, what a delight. So that's like the experience over and over and over again. Um, and of course I don't, I don't respond if something makes me feel like unsafe or attacked. Um, or I try not to respond, try not to let my, my worst self take control, but, uh, it, it is a challenge to do that, but I have found it so fruitful, um, as a character study, like to think about all these unique people who are reading what I'm writing and their perspectives and how that can play into how I talk about it. Um, and it's also like a, a great way to just forge relationships with people you wouldn't have. I have friends all over all over now really because of Substack and because I've been willing to just answer some emails. So there, there have been rewards for all of the discomfort. How have you managed to, you write, you write a little bit about friendship and like finding friends um, in your, in, in your town, since you just, you know, moved there re relatively recently. Right. Um, and you mentioned this really cool statistic in one of your posts about how long it takes to make friends. It takes like, I think what, like, I don't know how many hours it was like 90 hours to go from like acquaintance to friend or something like that. I, I don't even yeah. know. That. Yeah. I can't remember the exact stat, but it is, it is like tens and tens of hours to transition someone from just having met them to them becoming an actual close friend of yours. Yeah. Okay. Which that's, that's, I'll link that post down below as well. Um, but I wanted to ask you how weird is it to have a bunch of friends online who know you so well and then to kind of transition into the real world where, you know, people don't really know you at all and trying to make friends in the real world when like you've given so much time and effort to like a bunch of strangers that are responding to you. Like I find that difficult. Like I, I, I find it a little difficult for me to my to make friends in the real world because 
um, I'm, I'm putting so much emotional energy into people that I'm talking to online. Like, do you feel that, you know, that struggle at all? Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? It says my connection was a little unstable. I hope you heard everything there. I think so. Um, I'm, I mean, I think one thing that has benefited me in making friends in real life is that, uh, I, I'm pretty good at being myself. Um, and I'm pretty good at reading the room when someone doesn't like it. Uh, and I'm also good at just being like, not everyone should like you. <laughs> like a lot of people should just be like, oh, she's a good neighbor. Like that for me, that's the baseline. I just want people to think I'm a good neighbor, whether or not they want to be my friend up to them. But I want them to categorize me always as someone who like, if she's home, I could ask her to go put my dog inside, or I could ask her if I could borrow her internet connection for an hour, those sorts of things. Like that for me is the baseline of the person I want to be and who I'm trying to communicate. Um, and I, you know, I've lived so many places and been through the cycle of making friends so many times that I know that I know a lot of friendships are temporary and I know a lot of friendships, uh, take work if you want them to last. And so moving here, I knew it would take at least three years to have good friends. Um, and I'm only at year two and a half and I feel pretty good about like the network of people I can call, even if when they're thinking about who to hang out with that day, they don't always call me. And they shouldn't, they barely know me. I mean, I'm new, I'm not part of the Rolodex yet. And I always try to temper my expectations with that reality that everybody is their own main character. And I am at best a recurring character. And you can only hope that your impression in, in like the sentence or the paragraphs you end up in is good. And like, if you wanna weave yourself into the story, that's sort of on you. Um, and knowing that helps me be like proactive about making friends when I feel like I can. And, you know, other times, like we've had a lot of grief this past year. So I've been really gentle about myself about not reaching out to make plans. I'm like, you know what? I feel like shit. I just want to be home and like binge watch horrible TV. And I will pick up the effort in making friends later. Like I have had enough friendships that of people I've met in life where we weren't we weren't friends when we met, we were acquaintances and we remained distant acquaintances for years. And it was only years and years later that a friendship formed out of, out of the blue, out of someone being like, I thought of you when I saw this. And that's like, oh, we're, we've evolved. And now I think we're in a space where we want to be pals. So I don't know. Does it sound like I've been in a lot of therapy? <laughs> that's sort of uh, like my approach to friendship now. Yeah. No, no, you're fine. Um, I, uh, yeah, I re really, really interesting. Um, I wanted to ask about the, the main character. Everybody's a main, their own main character. One thing I kind of, I don't know if I should say notice, but one thing I thought about when I was reading your, reading your blog was it really, I really get the sense that it's like a movie. It's like I'm watching a movie take place, um, where you move to, you move to a new place. There's a lot of like, like problems in front of you. There's, there's some conflict ahead where, where you have to kind of, um, you know, figure out how to live and how to, how to do things and how to like live in this specific part of, uh, of the States where, you know, you've never been before and you're kind of an outsider and you're trying to like get in, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like that'd be like a really great movie. I mean, it's like, it's like basically every movie you know, um, you're, you know, the main character goes from, you know, um, like, he, you know, they, they learn something over the course of, of the film or they, um, you know, they become a Jedi or, you know, whatever. Right. I feel like you, that's, that's who you're kind of becoming, right. Is, is the, the kind of person that lives in this specific place. Maybe I'm looking at that like completely wrong and that's not exactly how it is, but I, that's, that's, do you, do you think about that at all? Do you think that that might be like one of the reasons why people, you know, like to read your work because they want to, they just want to see where the story goes. They want to see how you're pro how you're progressing on your journey. You know, yeah, I, I hope so. Um, and I, you know, I have a 
I have a very cinematic memory and my dreams are very cinematic and plot driven. And I've always kind of, I, I think, it, you know, it's like being a writer, like I am also my own main character. That's not like an insult to anybody else. I'm living in my world and I'm trying to write a perspective where when I move to a new place, like in reference to a lot of the stories and movies we see, I was re-watching Northern Exposure. And, you know, in that in that instance, this doctor from New York moves to this very small town in Alaska, and he's very abrasive. He's like a ball of sandpaper just trying to, like, roll through the doors of the town. And that's sort of what drives the conflict and, like, what makes it entertaining. Um, but I've really been trying to be a, a, a liquid or a gas in this town. Like, I'm trying to, like, fill the space that's available and like be observant of how the town operates without me so that I understand what my place in that town is. It's very like when in Rome. Um, and it, that's been, you know, a, a core element of trying to live here is one, when I, I saw this town, when, you know, I went on this grand tour of the West trying to find where I belonged. And I saw this little town in Southwest Colorado and was like, I want to live there. I feel like I belong there. And that was from a lot of observation. You know, I'd read the town mandate. I looked at old government minutes. I we looked at all the architecture. I looked at um, the history of when every single house had sold in this valley and made, you know, assumptions based on like, people live here for a really long time. There's very little turnover. There's no Airbnbs. And those sorts, like putting all together those details and mapping them to my own personality, like, will I fit there? Instead of like, oh, there's no Airbnbs, the perfect opportunity to make one. It was more like, no, I'm also a no Airbnbs person. <laughs> so like trying to find somewhere where I fit and then getting there and reading the landscape of the people and seeing what mattered to them and trying not to be too difficult. But in writing, I can express a lot of those emotions. Um, whereas if I was like a TV character, you would just see me sitting quietly watching. <laughs> so in writing, I can express all of these trials that I'm having about wanting to be the right kind of person here and the assumptions I also made about them. You know, like I assumed everyone in this town would be the kind of person who breaks down their boxes and crushes their cans for recycling. And they're not. Uh, and, you know, so like you're you're tempering these things. But um, for readers, they get to experience that while in the real world, I'm just trying to make sure I don't step on toes and be helpful and be kind. One of the cool things about your writing that I love is um, just how much detail you go into how much, how many things that you notice? I, I'm an INFJ. You're an ENFP. I think you've said maybe you're INFP, perhaps like me, you know, you're, so. you're, yeah. Um, I feel like the NF of the, of that spectrum or of the Myers-Briggs test is what makes sometimes really great writing. For, it makes for really great writers, I think that NF part of it. Um, yeah. Way to call yourself a great writer, Tom. Um, but no, <laughs> like what, I, what I'm trying to say is I feel like I notice a lot of things as well. I feel like I, I, I feel like I almost notice too many things. And part of it is like, I have to know what's real and what's not real. Like, am I just imagining that like this person's mad at me or am I really picking up on stuff that like I can tell that this person's mad at me or, or, you know what I mean? Or this person's nervous. Are they actually nervous or am I just like, my brain is overactive and I, and I don't know if they're nervous or not, you know, and you know what I'm saying? Like I'm picking up on like everything, right? Yeah. I feel like, I feel like you're the same way. I can, I can see it in your writing. It feels like you know, you were, you mentioned in one of your first couple blog posts, you were on a hike and you were talking to someone. It was actually a group of people and it, the conversation did not go well at all. And like the amount, like the layers of how you drew out this conversation that like probably took maybe like, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute you drew it out like over like for a very long time in the post and you were like making these really astute observations about how they like how they were talking to you and 
and what like what they said actually meant and like how like you were you know what i mean like there's so many things going on beneath like beneath the you know the surface i know um, what conversation you're talking about and yeah. i after that happened um and we parted ways i i took a break in the shade with my dog and took out my phone and wrote a bunch of it down in the notes app cuz i was like so stunned <laughs> by that conversation that I was like, I want to get it right. I don't, I don't want to go home. And because my husband sounds very similar to you in that he like, he's often doubting the reality of the things that he's perceiving. Cause he's like, did I get that right? Were they judging me? Like, did I read the room? Right. And I'm, I'm always telling him to like trust his intuition on those things. Cause I, I have a lot of conviction in those moments. Um, but I do, when something I feel like I have to write about happens, I write about it immediately if I can. Um, and especially when it's capturing a conversation. Um, and I do think that that, that helps aid in my writing. And I, I think it also helps the, you know, however, however, I wouldn't, uh, ask a judge to trust my conviction when it comes to my own personal essay writing, I allow myself that grace where I'm like, this is an essay. I'm not naming anybody. I'm not calling anyone out. I'm not trying to hurt someone. I'm not putting this into like the library of Congress or a court of law. Like if I want my reader to experience the feelings I'm experiencing, which is the point, then I want to have conviction in those feelings so that they can come along with me on that story. Um, but yeah, there, there is a lot of like note taking. Yeah, I was like, I was reading it and I was like, man, there's the level of detail that's going on here. It's just super fascinating. Uh, like re really, really great writing. Um, and I, I really appreciate that. And like part of the reason I do that is because I, I ask that a lot of other people. If someone's telling me a story, especially if it deals with interpersonal relationships, I'm like, but how are they sitting? And like, what was her face when she said that? And like, is something going on with her? Like, do you, is, is her relationship okay? Like, do you know if she's had like a death in the family? Like what's the bigger context around why this person might have said something that rubbed you that way? Um, Cause I'm like the the story's not complete until you can give me all of that. So I try when other people are in my essays to color them as much as I can while being respectful. Obviously there's a line there. These are real people. And since I wrote that dating blog for so long, like I know, I know what it can mean to a person to read about themselves. And like, sometimes I, I want to be really truthful. And sometimes I'm like, you know what? Not my story to tell. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, there's this, um, I think there's a quote from I think it's Anne Lamott and and I'm probably going to butcher this quote, but it's like, she said, if people wanted you to write better about them, then they should have treated you better or something like that. Or I, I forget it. Do you know that quote, Calton? I'm not sure if I'm getting I, that right. I know. I know. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Um, and I've, you know, I've, I've rubbed up against that in the past in the dating blog. You know, there was one guy who, once I revealed my identity, he read through it and figured out which number he was and was like, kind of like you, you painted me in a shitty light. And I was like, well, I don't think so. Like I, I just said one exactly what happened and then how I felt about it. And then it was like a year later, he wrote to me again and was like, so the girl I was dating just broke up with me and said all the same reasons that you had. And he's like, and it just made me stop and be like, oh shit. <laughs> and I was like, you know, obviously I felt vindicated, <laughs> but, um, but you know, there also comes a line that, that's like, that was writing about dating in New York city. It's like, there's millions of people that like that number in the blog could have been. Whereas here, you know, there's like maybe 8,000 people in the whole County. Um, and I'm, I plan to live here for decades. And so it's you, these are your, these are your people. These are my neighbors. And there has to come a, a line drawn in how I, how I portray certain people. And, uh, cause it, you know, they, not everybody has a blog. It would be more fair if everyone was writing a newsletter and they could shit talk me. And then I'd be like, okay, 
fair game, <laughs> but you know, how people perceive things, you know, my parents are a great example. They read it. And sometimes they're just like, what, that wasn't how we experienced that. And I was like, oh, cool. Tell me how you experienced it. Like, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe it'll make my writing better. You know, it's, it's, it's balance. Yeah. Yeah. And I just started a blog with my dad and I like have to be, cause I, like I keep my writing like pretty private. I mean, like, like my, my parents have probably written, like read like five blog posts that I've written in the past. And my sister and my brother, probably like a couple, maybe, I mean, they don't like, nobody reads my stuff. Like I tell people all the time, I'm like, just write it, whatever. They're like, what if my family reads it? I'm like, ah, who cares? And maybe, yeah. maybe that's horrible advice. Maybe they do in fact read, but in my experience, like nobody cares um, what you're writing, especially when you're writing so much, you know, and um, maybe that's different for you, Kelton. But like when I talk, when I write with my dad now, cause we're writing letters back and forth, um, I like find myself being a little more careful. I'm like, I really, you know, I, I, cause I know my family's reading it more now and I have to be really careful. And I'm, I, I think, I think you need to have that as well. I think it can't just be like, oh, I'm just going to say exactly how I feel about everything. Like, I, I don't know. I, I do. I think that you have that right as a writer to like write what, it, how it happened for you and how you felt about it. But I also think that you know, like maybe you're not right about how it went down or how that person was feeling. Maybe yeah, like, it's, you know, it's a, it's a tough line to walk. Like, you know, there are, there are some things in my life I've never written about. Um, and that's people in my life have requested that I don't write about them. And so there's whole huge portions of my life that no one who's ever read my writing would ever have any idea existed. Um, I don't include any aspect of it. And so there's no way for them to know, but there's some things where I'm like, look, I feel like this topic is fair game. Um, and I feel like the people involved in it were involved in it publicly enough that they made their side of it fair game. There's times when my husband, Ben will read my writing and be like, do you think this is a good idea? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I, I try to reread it. I reread those pieces to see like, what did I say? Did I call anybody out? Um, do I feel strongly enough about this issue to write about it? Um, typically these are like political issues. I wrote one piece about guns. Um, I wrote one, I think piece behind the paywall about solar energy. Um, I think anybody who reads Shangri Logs can guess where I fall on both, but um, I, there were public disagreements that led to me writing those newsletters and I felt strongly enough about my opinion that I was like, would I say it to this person's face? And that for me, that's the line. And I'm like, if it's yes, then I can write about it. You sh I still can't be a dick. I still can't lie or um, misguide people. Um, but if I'm willing to have the conversation in person, then I'm more than happy to have it in writing. Yeah. I like that. that that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good rule to follow. Like if you wouldn't say it to their face, then probably don't, probably don't write it right um yeah okay i like that i like that um kind of like the thing like if you wouldn't say it to their face don't say it behind their back i guess you know yeah don't say it at all <laughs> yeah which is probably something else your dad might have told you when you're i don't know your dad sounds like a pretty wise guy right um in the best sense um so anyway um okay let's i wanted to ask quickly about how long it takes you to to write a post right i mean you mentioned that like after important conversations that happen where you're like you know it's kind of i need to write about this right now and i need to get it down so i can you know make sure that it's that it's true right um how long you know how long does it take you to write the typical post like do you to like if 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 you for example when you wrote down that conversation that you had on that hike, right? Um, you got that little bit down. Did you then like go home and then finish the blog post like pretty, pretty much immediately? Or like, you know, like what, what does that process look like? That's an awful question, Tom, really great job, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll run with it. We'll see what happens. I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, in moments of 
passion where I'm writing things down on my phone to keep track of them. I go home and write the post and it's done. Um, uh, which is a luxury. Uh, and then most, most posts though, I start thinking about them on Friday, like in, in like a real effort. Uh, and I, if I am well-behaved, I write a good portion of it on Friday and then I read it again and edit it on Saturday and schedule it. Um, sometimes I wake up on Saturday morning in a cold sweat and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm writing about. Um, and then I spend five or six hours writing it. And then I'm like, well, good enough. And that's it. Um, so not a lot of time. <laughs> I, um, I have had, I've, I've had a couple pieces that I've done research for, um, that I've spent longer on and writing and like, it's just not my kind of writing. Um, I do it occasionally, but like in the moments when I've, I've like written for publications, um, like runner's world or the guardian, I find that those pieces like really wear me out and it takes so much effort. And I'm like, I, I started Shangri logs for me and I want to keep it for me, even when I can see other types of pieces perform better, I'm writing Shangri logs for me. <laughs> so if it starts to become too stressful, then I'm ruining something I love. And so I try to just spend, a, it's like Sunday is for comments, Monday is for nothing, Tuesday is for writing the paid edition, Wednesday is for like cleaning up the paid edition, Thursday is for nothing, and then Friday and Saturday are for writing. And I try to stick to that schedule unless something happens that forces my hand, like an event I want to take notes about or like a vacation I want to go on that I don't want to be writing on. Yeah. How easy is it for you to just let a post go? Like you mentioned, like sometimes I spend five or six hours writing and then that's it. Like, oh, it's for- really, it's really easy. <laughs> it's really easy now to be like, I don't give a shit. Like if they don't like it, they don't like it. Like it's a newsletter. It's not an audition. It's, you know, it's funny because some of them can be, it's like, you never know who's reading and which piece is going to be someone's first piece that they get. And that I try to not let that linger in the back of my brain. Like, what if this shitty essay I just wrote is some incredible agent's first glimpse of Shangri Logs? It's like, babe, calm down. Like, you can't live your life like that. Um, and so, you know, I've gotten to the point where my husband Ben will be like, "How did it go?" And I'll be like, "This one is shit." And then I I have been better about. Obviously, there's a metric system to Substack that. It gets in a lot of writers' heads, likes, restacks, comments. And I whenever I really look at the likes, it never, it never sates me. And so I just try to not look at them. I'm like, this terrible thing got 30 likes when like the average is like 90. I'm like, let it go. You you cannot perform at that level every week. It is insane to think I should be able to. So I try not to look at any of that kind of data. I just engage where the engagement is and then I let it go. Um, we're, we're, for me, that's the same way. Like I've written so much online now and I've pretty much seen everything and people have had problems with stuff I've written in the past and I've learned my lessons and all this kind of stuff. And I'm at the point now where it's like, okay, like, let's just, I'll write it up, spend it like. I'll probably like when I get to the end, I've, I've, I've reached the end. If I'm not having any fun writing it anymore, I'm probably at the end anyway. So I'm just like, okay, fine. Let's just, let's just throw it out there. It's not going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. I have a lot of people that message me and they're like terrified publishing stuff online, you know, like as if, you know, everybody in the world is going to read it. And it, for me, I, it's important to keep that perspective of like, this is just, at the end of the day, this is just another piece of content in the overflowing massive river that is the internet. I mean, it, it like people are going to read whatever you wrote and then they're probably going to move on to some dog video. And then that's going to be that, right? Like you're yeah. not going to, you know, and so that like, that's very much how I kind of look at it too. Like, did, did it take you a little while to, to get to that point, Kelton, where you just like didn't care or have you always kind of been like this? Um, when I was writing the dating blog, I was, I started to get, um, hate mail and death threats. You know, it's like, 
a woman expressing her sexuality on the internet is just like a, a gateway to cruelty. And I shared one of the, like the first really scary ones I got with my friend Ozzy. And she was like, this is awesome. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she was just like, this means that your writing is killing it. Like the fact that you now have a big enough audience that there are people who hate your work so much that they have to tell you, like, excellent. And like, I, ever since then, you know, I, I think death threats aside, um, having people feel like compelled to disagree with you is, it just means that you have an audience and that your writing has enough essence to it to warrant that. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of fucking terrible things that people write. And I, I'm not like really including that. This is like an, an artistic scale. If you're like inciting someone to be like, that's not how I think about creativity or like, I really disagree with you about trail etiquette. <laughs> you know, it's like, those are the kinds of things that I'm like, cool. Why? Great. And, you know, I used to be more nervous and I still occasionally get comments that, you know, I'm like, huh. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I, I'm pregnant. I'm, it's going to be my first kid. And like all people considering having a child, I have opinions about how I'm going to be as a parent that are inevitably going to be wrong. And parents love to tell you that. And I knew as soon as I started writing about entering parenthood, that parents would be like, you're wrong. And that, of course, if someone was writing about like having cats who had never had a cat, and they said things that I was like, oh, you don't even know. It's like, oh, great. You're probably right. But I, it's like, I'm, I have to, these are personal essays. I, the point of me writing them is expressing where I'm at at that point in my life. And I'm always going to be wrong about stuff. And it's like, that's sort of the point of growing up as a person. Like if you never are wrong about anything, you've never grown. If you never realized you were wrong, you've never changed. And so I'm like, you know what, what, who cares? What, what, what am I going to, what are they going to say? You know? And that stems from like, what am I saying too? Like I, you do have to like review your work and, <laughs> and be like, do I sound conceited? Do I sound, uh, you know, do I sound selfish or are those things? And then extrapolate from that. Like if you do sound conceited, what is, what is the problem there? Like you do have to do that like therapy behind your writing. But like, I've done so much of that now that I'm like, you know, if people don't like this one, it's not because I was an asshole. It's because we disagree and that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So I... yeah, I just send it out and I'm like, whatever. But you know, it's like, I've had a career of doing that. Um, Like, and so I have a ton of, ton of practice. And I, I really empathize with writers who are at that point in their writing career where they're like struggling with like, what are people going to think? And is this the right thing? Am I saying too much? I have done so much of that in my life. I have so much practice that it is hard to remember what it was like before that. Um, like I had, uh, I, I think this is sort of tangential, but for me, it's important to say like, I had big trauma early in my life, in my late teens, early twenties. And it informed a lot of how I acted as a person. And I, I would just trauma dump on people immediately. Like on a first date, I'd be like, this horrible thing happened to me. You need to know because it affects like every aspect of how I operate as a person. And if you don't like it, then we just shouldn't hang out. And that's totally okay. And you have full permission to be like, whoa, way too much for me. And so ever since then, I've been like, here is my entire self. And if you don't like it, that is totally okay. Cause like, I don't, I don't want to spend the time trying to get someone to like a version of me that isn't real. Mm. And so it's like, it's kind of awesome to be like, this is all of me. You don't like it. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Cool. Like go like somebody else. We don't have to deal with each other. What a gift. We don't have to go through the rounds of you being like, I don't know about her. And instead they're like, oh no, she is not for me. <laughs> and I, I love that. Yeah. What a gift. I, <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, it is. It is. And I like that. I like that you approach it from the sense of this is a personal essay. This is a, this is a snapshot of myself 
maybe like I correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like when I'm running a personal essay, personal essay, this is a snapshot of myself at a certain point in time. And I look at a lot of the stuff that I wrote like five years ago and I cringe for sure. But at the same time, there's something beautiful about that, I guess, in, in, in the sense that like, that's who I was and I was being honest about who I was. And that's, it's important to do that because as I'm more honest and as I keep doing that over and over and over again, then I might discover a new way of thinking about things or as I reflect more, I might improve and I have improved that that's the proof that I can look back at something I wrote five years ago and say that Tom, like, come on now, you know, what were you thinking? (laughs) Right. Um, do you really, did you really have to say it like that? I mean, I was such a condescending idiot like back in the day. It was so awful. And I'm probably still that way now. Um, and, but these essays helped me improve. And if, if I constantly thought about like what everybody would think about me, then I think that my own personal development would have, um, been stunted because then I wouldn't have been honest. Um, I think there are elements too where it it can help. Um, Like when I was writing the dating blog, knowing that people were going to have an opinion of me actually helped me be a better person in the moment. Because it was like, if I was on a date with someone who was really mistreating me, if I had just left the date with my tail between my legs and then that was the essay I wrote, it's like, oh, Jesus. So in those moments, it was like, this person's mistreating me. I have an audience. I have a story to write. I need to do the right thing and make this my story and not them just walking all over me. And so it's, I think having your writing be informed in that way is awesome where it's like, it makes you courageous and it makes you um, fearless in a, in a way that like you would be if you were the heroine of your book. Um, but in the opposite direction, yeah, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't serve you. Uh, but let's like, all my essays are like tattoos. I have several tattoos that I'm like, oh, sweet baby. But it's like, you know, it's nice to be able to look at your past self and have empathy for them and just, and and see how much you've learned. And it's, you know, everyone's like, oh, how are you going to feel about that too in five years? And it's like, I'm probably going to be like, what was I doing? Um, but, you know, maybe not. And like, maybe they just serve as like beautiful lessons for future you. So yeah, of course I read the entries I wrote writing about dating in my early twenties. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. But, you know, I, I feel like everyone should, if everyone tracked every journal entry, you know, everyone on the planet would be like, wow, holy moly. And that's growth and development. Yeah. And and, uh, there are some rare occasions where I read a blog post and I'm like, okay, Uh, And obviously like not every blog post is all good or all bad. You know, it's not like I've like, even like some of the stuff that I cringe at from five years ago, there's some parts of that blog post, that same post where I'll be like, Oh, that was, you know, that was pretty good. You know? And it's like, you know, you gotta, obviously you gotta take the, take the good with the bad. Right. And you know, that's just part of the deal. Right. So gosh, I don't want to talk about like monetizing Substack. I kind of want to stay on this thread of like, you know, finding ourselves through writing and what that feels like and all that kind of stuff. Um, but there is, I, I, you know, I, I saw on Instagram the other day, uh, I think he posted a couple months ago that you hit the 5,000 subscriber mark and you've had like, um, you know, like 300 or 330 paid subscribers or something. Like I think at that point in time, um, it's pretty incredible. Right. And a lot of people want to learn how to monetize on Substack. So you mentioned you had like a paid edition, um, so how have you approached monetizing on Substack and, you know, yeah, like uh, take it away. Go ahead. I think first and foremost, Substack is not my primary stream of income. Um, I, I work freelance as a content person. I've been the VP of content for several companies. Um, so I spend a lot of t- my other time doing brand strategy, brand voice, team leadership, team building, those sorts of things. And having a career like that means that my writing doesn't have to sustain me. Um, it has to sustain me uh, heart, body, and soul, but like not monetarily. Um, and that's a huge luxury. Um, so I think if someone is pursuing writing and thinking about it, their finances, and that's going to be their primary way that they pay their bills, that's also a totally different approach 
and feeling and set of rules. Um, so when I went into writing Substack, I when I went paid, it was more like how I feel art should be handled. Um, I think that if you can afford to pay for art, you should. And that goes for all kinds of art. Um, and when I launched a paid edition, so my paid edition goes on on Wednesdays. Um, I try not to do free previews, um, which is like a Substack feature where people can get like the first few paragraphs you've unlocked and then the rest of it is hidden from them unless they become paid. I try not to do that. I find that infuriating. Um, and uh, I just, the paid edition is, um, sometimes it's essays, sometimes it's just like what I'm watching, reading and clicking on. Um, it's more of like a deep dive into me as a person. And I don't, I don't send the paid edition thinking that that's like worth that money to me. It's like, you're getting a little bonus. You're paying for the essays that are free for everybody as a way of being like, it's sort of like, did you get the book from the library or did you buy it? Like, I want people to get this book, the Shangri-Logs book from the library, but I still want some people to buy it. And that's how I framed it for people. When I asked them, I'm like, look, I, I just, if you have the means and it's worth it to you, if it's worth the dollar 25 to read this, then, then pay for it. And then as soon as you can't, as soon as it's not worth it, as soon as it doesn't, just not scratching the itch unsubscribe. Sure. But like, I'm working really hard to write things that move people and make people think and bring them enjoyment. And sometimes I think it's just worth paying for that. So I don't have like a very thoughtful system. I don't have threads. I don't have uh, like all these extra discussion forums. Like, I don't think that's what people come to Shangri-Logs for. I tried it once or twice and was like, this doesn't feel right for my audience. Um, and like those things, it's a luxury that it's, this is gravy on top of the money I make elsewhere. I have... 5,200 subscribers and somewhere around 350 paid subscribers. I'm right around the 6% of my readership pays for it. And that's about what Substack expects for their writers. And I don't, I don't do a lot of work trying to convert people. Um, and I make like $15,000 a year from Substack and that's awesome. Um, but I have examined several times the amount of work it would take to turn Shangri Logs into my full-time job. And I think it would, it would ruin what I love about doing it. Mm. Um, and I think I would have to do a lot more writing that is not the kind of writing I love. Hugely successful substacks are typically um, about the news, about stocks, about how to career advice like they're they're giving you something. And you know, I hate to say like all I'm giving you is lyrical little essays like I, that is that is what you're getting and it's like hard to know if you're ever going to get any value out of that and so yeah I'm not I'm not in the in the big leagues of the paid subscriptions but I do have them on and offer a little extra just because I feel like art is worth paying for okay cool so so and you and you don't really like uh, you mentioned that your that your paid editions are a little more personal is is, is that is that is that right? Or like, like, or is it basically just another essay that you just block or, you know what I mean? How do you, how do you think about that? They're a little more personal. Um, they, um, like if, for instance, they'll go a little more into town politics. Like I'll talk a little more deeply about where I am, what's happening. Um, I don't disclose where I am on the free edition because it's such a small town. And like I, like I said in the past, I had death threats. So I have a little bit of like guardrails up, but if you're willing to pay me money and give me a death threat, that's different. So, um, and then I, you know, I also include, uh, I have like a format I follow. So there's usually a little blurb, a little essay. Sometimes it's long, sometimes it's very short. And then it's literally like what I'm reading, watching, listening to, hoping for, practicing, um, an unsolicited opinion, a tiny delight. And while I'm pregnant, I also include a symptom of the week. <laughs> so it's like, you know, the top, the, the headliners kind of change week to week, but it's, um, 
you know, it's like, if you like my writing, if you're, if you're there less for the story and more for me as a writer, then usually the, the paid edition is pretty entertaining. It's also like a much more engaged community. There's a lot of comments and a lot of like back and forth between readers, which is really fun. Okay. Okay. But I also like, I'm not a cultural critic. Like when you go to some pop culture uh, newsletters for their, what they're reading, watching and listening to, it is an extensive list. You know, for me, sometimes it's like, well, sorry, the only TV show I'm watching is Top Chef, the Colorado season for the second time. Still watching it, you know, I'm not going out of my way to like come up with things that yeah. I think people should watch or listen to. Um, so I think my my readers know that there is a lot of things I'm reading, though. So I send out a lot of articles. Cool. Um, I love that. I, I yeah, I, I love I love how you approach all of that. Um, so. Um, OK, Kelton, well, look, I uh, I will finally let you go and and i i i have i i have at least half of an interview where my microphone was probably somewhat decent and uh i how how did that sound by the way I'm, i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna the first thing i'm gonna do after this is over it's going to populate the file and i'm gonna i'm gonna like i'm gonna listen to this interview and it's gonna be like it's gonna sound like I'm literally like a hundred yards away from the microphone talking, isn't it? Is that how it sounds? And then, and then you were just nice the whole time, like not telling it me. Sounded that we... fine. Oh, okay. When you changed microphone setups, it didn't sound any different to me. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I hope that maybe. It... Okay. Good. Okay. Okay. All right. So then you. Okay. All right. Awesome. Well. All right. Adventures in podcasting. This is this is fun. Um. But uh, yeah, Kelton, thank you like so much. This has been this was great. I um, I, you know, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed talking to you. It's fun to hear you say a lot of the things that I've felt for for a little bit of time, and um, it's nice that you were so generous with your time. Um, I'd love to know if you have anything you want to promote besides just the newsletter. Obviously, I'll, I'm going to throw a bunch of links down below. Is there anything else that you? you know, would like to lift up on a pedestal or something in, in this final little, little bit. <laughs> um, not that it comes to mind. I'm sure I'm going to get off this call and be like, why didn't you say that you should donate to world wildlife fund? <laughs> um, but I uh, know this has been a pleasure. Um, please break down your cardboard boxes and crush your cans when you're going to the recycling bin. <laughs> um, and other than that, uh, subscribe to Shangri Logs and say hi when you do. Okay. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Kelton, so much.